This is a Sunday message from New Community Church in London. To discover more about New Community, visit newcom.church. So I'm going to be talking about um, creation today. And this is part of a whole new series uh, called A Summer of Celebration. And John put together, so I'm going to need to like just, just, just nail this explanation right now because that he's literally right here. I can feel his eyes on me right now. But what's beautiful about this series is literally this week has been such a massive change um, for for really all of society, but particularly us as a church. Uh, as some of the restrictions have lowered, there's been a, a few more freedoms, and you can feel this palpable sense of excitement, this this joy. And the reality is, anytime there's that much of a big change in culture, we get excited. Um, but the challenge with being excited about temporary things is that they're temporary, right? And we know, because we've been burnt many times over the last 60 months, right? You get one sweet sense of freedom, and then something else goes wrong, and like a whole bunch of different restrictions come in. And so it's so good, for, as Christians especially, for, for those who are supposed to spend their lives looking at eternal things. So as we are very excited about not having quite as many restrictions to actually put our eyes on the eternal. For throughout this summer to really be freshly celebrating the things of God that should every day be getting us up in the morning, every day be filling us with joy and delight. So today I'm going to try and do that with creation. And creation is, in some senses, really easy because it's massive and everywhere. At some stages, really hard because we're just so used to it. We are so familiar with all of creation around us, right? It's difficult to freshly wake up and be like, well, this is amazing because you've woken up every single morning for it. But there is still so many reasons that God gives us to rejoice in what he's done in creation. If you were here this morning, you would have heard Greg do a stellar job uh, on, on working through just the beauty and delight of God's creation. Now I'm going to focus a little bit less on perhaps the majesty of creation. I'm going to focus a little more on the purpose of creation. What is the purpose of creation, especially for us as God's image bearers? I'm going to dig into that a little more in the future. So um, creation, uh, creation is God's story of how things were supposed to be and what ruined it. Um, but this isn't really good news um, because after Adam and Eve sinned, Genesis 3 ends with humans being kicked out of the garden. It gets pretty bad pretty quickly. This perfect world that God had created for us, it, it's actually very sad. And so we're going to dig into a little bit about um, what God intended creation to be, what happened after humanity sinned, and why Jesus is such beautiful news to those of us who have got our eyes on creation. So, Let's dig into it. First of all, creation, God's power and creativity. So in six days or six phases throughout Genesis 1, God takes us on an epic journey of power and creativity. I'm going to focus on these two words, power and creativity, a lot because I think there's a lot in this story we can tell about power, um, how God uses power and what power is intended for, and also creativity. Well, what's wonderful, sometimes sometimes creative Christians can kind of... Kind of um, uh, in the background, bring their creative gifts. And the reality is, is God puts his creativity on display. It is beautiful and epic. And we're going to dig into that a little more. But power is significant because what God is doing as he created the world and everything in it is fundamentally an act of power. God is literally there and he's speaking it. He's making it very clear. It's, um, it's a moment of epic, uh, an epically powerful moment where God says, hey, light, you go there. Darkness, you go there. 
Land, you go there. Sea, you grow there. He literally commands and it happens. And if you just think about if you if you had the chance to witness creation, to witness something coming out of nothing, to witness the epic moment when the seas and lands were separated, it's a moment of power. But it's more than that. It's um, he, like he looks outside of the earth at stars that just literally explode and burst into life. This surely would be the most powerful event that we could ever witness. But it's also one full of creativity. Um, praise God, he did not create this world as a cold, brutalist slab. Praise God that our God was not um, an architect from the 70s. And I know many people love brutalism. And bless you, you are so welcome here. But God did not create this world <laughs> as this very utilitarian, concrete, efficient slab, right? He, he, he added things to creation um, that just seem like in some sense pointless, but beautiful and epic. And, you, and you, you look at some bits of creation and you think, I don't know why that exists, but I love it. <laughs> it's wonderful. And so God was not this, this cold 70s brutalist. Um, he was full of creativity, full of beauty, full of majesty in everything that he touched. But the nature and life that God created isn't just beautiful to observe. The way that God created life was abundance. We look at the fifth day, verse 20 of Genesis 1. It says, and God says, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and everything living, every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good and God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. I'm going to hone in on that little word swarm. It's sometimes translated as team. And it's just a picture of abundance, not just, oh, that'll do. That's enough fish. That's enough birds. That's enough zebras. That's enough of the little insects you find in sand. That, that'll do. Like the world teems with life. And I just want to show a, a picture of um, something called murmuration. Um, and this is... Um, Uh, I'm sure you've seen them before. It's basically flocks of birds. In this case, they're sparrows. And they just, they fly together in this way that there are are some like reasons for it. But generally speaking, it's not massively known why they do that. It's not totally clear. And the creation is scattered with examples like that of just ridiculously beautiful moments where all of the chaos of creation comes together and creates something so beautiful, so unusual, so strange, and yet so perfect. And creation is just full of this. And and it is so difficult to look at creation and be like, well, I think it is all just random. Because so many of these things just come together in such perfect unity that it is difficult as someone, as anyone who appreciates beauty to look at it and be like, sure, that's average. Something within us just leaps, just jumps. And there is a message that God has encoded within all of creation that shouts his name, that shouts his care, that shouts his love, that shouts his, his thoughtfulness over all of creation. We haven't even got to humanity left yet. We haven't even got to his pinnacle, but already this is something that has God fingerprints all over it. So, verse 26, the phrase changes. God, as he um, uh, speaks into life, each element of creation, um, he's in the beginning saying, let it be, let it be, let it be, let it be. He speaks this tiny little phrase and immediately light and darkness separates. But he then changes the phrase in verse 26 from let it be to let us make. 
It becomes this us. There's something much more personal about what he's now doing. Let us make. There's, 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 it's almost like, I mean, God is involved in every element of creation, but it's almost like he gets involved and dirty with this kind of making. And he says this, um, um, let us make man in the image of God. For the first time, all of creation looks beautiful, stunning on its own. But for the first time, an element of creation actually looks a bit like God. For the first time, something in creation has become deeply personal. God is creating humanity in his image. And this is phenomenally important. This is important, especially if you lived as a Roman thousands of years ago. This, is, this truth is significant because it says something about who humans are. Before they've done anything, before they performed in any way, before they were born into any particular special kind of family, before uh, they were maybe born into an ethnicity that was by some cultures considered significant or unsignificant, humanity bears God's image. It is by definition significant and valuable. And we live in a culture that the last few hundred years has been shaped by Christian theology. Um, we don't all realize that, but our, our culture values people as people. That didn't just exist because humans chose to do it. That exists because hundreds of years ago, Christians fought for the value of human life, saying, look, these people all bear the image of God. These people are all significant and valuable. No matter what they've done or who they are, they're valuable because they bear the image of God. And it means we should treat them a little bit differently to sparrows. We should treat them differently to little amoebas. We should treat them differently to dogs, right? They bear the image of God. Now, God still cares about animals. Like, let, let's just be clear with that. It's not that God doesn't care, but there is something distinctive and clear and important. And we as Christians, because we believe this foundational truth, it does mean that we can treat people differently. Now, that's a, that's a different sermon for a different time, but it's so important, and we're going to build on that. Verse 28 digs into this more. It says, and God blessed them. This is humans. And God said to, said to them, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it. Now, this is a little different from what he combined with all the fish and the birds. He's like, go for it. Team, get everywhere. Be abundant. He builds on this. He says, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. And another bit, and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I've given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food and to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. This is different from the good he had mentioned early on. It's now very good. Why is it very good? Is it that it actually wasn't good beforehand? No, this is a particular crescendo of what God has made. He has put humans at the center of it. Now, that doesn't mean that they get an easy, an easy pass. It doesn't mean that they're um, void from any responsibility. He's actually loaded this and saying, I am giving you guys some power, some authority, some influence here. And bearing in mind what God has just done with his power, with his authority, with his influence. He has used his power in such a way that has caused creation to flourish. All of creation, just before he added humans, was doing great. Because God had used his power, his influence, his authority in a way that bore life. 
and see what he's asking humans to do now. He's saying, right, just as I've created, I'm going to let you guys come along with me and have a little bit of this power. Now, none of us have created the universe, so the reality is we're not as powerful as God, right? Let's just be abundantly clear about that. But he's, he's made us in his image to do as he does, to use power and creativity in a way that causes life. Now, let's see what we do with this power and creativity. We then move to the fall, our failed power and creativity. In Genesis 3, Adam and Eve have very clear instructions how to use power and creativity, but instead they choose to listen to another. I'm not going to go into the full story, uh, but essentially in Genesis 3, you'll see the snake comes along. Now, the snake, like the rest of creation, is one of the animals that God has said, right, you'd have dominion over them. And, and you may remember in bits of Genesis that God calls Adam to go name all of the creatures. Right? This is significant, not just because he's bored and it gives him something to do with a Saturday afternoon. Um, th- this is really significant because it's basically giving Adam his first opportunity to have a little bit of creativity and a little bit of power. Right? Names matter. What we name something is really important. Some of you will know Nemi. He preaches here every now and again. And I'm pretty sure this is right. I'm confident enough to just say it without asking him and apologize afterwards if it's wrong. But Nemi's middle name is Joy. Some of you know that. Some of you might think that's a bit of a strange middle name for a, for a bloke. But Nemi's middle name is Joy because in his culture, um, you, you often name a child with the, the feeling, the emotion that your parents went through when they, had, when they had you. So when Nemi was born, his parents experienced Joy. So they added to his name, Joy. And what a, what a powerful um, action his parents took by doing that. They basically said, the beginning of your life is going to be one of joy. You were born, you were um, lovingly brought into the world by parents who experienced joy at your being. What, what, a, what a, um, a creative and powerful move Nemi's parents made when they gave him that name. It would have been a bit of a different story if it had been like Nemi disappointment or something like that. And praise God that his parents experienced joy when they had Nemi, right? Um, But naming is a really powerful action. And what God um, called his people to do was to name them, to, to literally take the chaos of random animals without names and order them, categorize them, give them distinctions, help articulate. Well, this animal looks a little bit like that, does a little bit like that, so I'm going to give it a very specific name. It's giving uh, humans this first opportunity to have dominion over the earth. It's a beautiful picture. Okay, so that was that first uh, action that, that God gave them. But it went downhill pretty quickly. So instead, go back to the snake. That's where I was. So go back to the snake that Adam has named, right? He was called to have dominion over it rather than the snake having dominion over him. And what happens? The snake comes up to Eve and he starts t- tempting her. He twists and distorts God's words and says, well, actually, you know, you know, God was actually keeping things from you. This apple that is um, God specifically told you not to eat, you, like, he's actually trying to keep stuff from you and he actually doesn't really know what's best for you. So you should definitely go be the real you and go eat this apple. And what the humans did in that moment, instead of tr- trusting God's authority and and using this delegated authority to have dominion, good, loving dominion over creation, it flips its way around. And now you have the snake having authority over man to go reject what God has called them to do. There's this, there's this big reversal that's going on, right? 
And um, after that point, um, Eve eats the apple, Adam does too, and that action um, is sinning against God and causes this break. In, into the world comes sin. Into the world comes sickness and death and brokenness and creation, which was up until that moment perfect, is broken, is cursed. And God comes and he explains the situation and he explains um, why they've fallen. He asks them what they've done and he casts them out from the garden. And, and what we see is that humanity, who had been given this, this free will, this power to use to do good, instead use it to do evil. From this point, although they still have dominion and creativity, they use it for evil, not for good. They hide from God and each other. Their offspring are supposed to fill the earth with good, right? They're supposed to fill the earth with good, not evil. What do their offspring do? We see the, the immediate generation straight after them. Their kids kill each other, right? It gets really serious really quickly. We see sin like multiply. So instead of filling the earth with good, instead of filling the earth with blessing, they're filling the earth with curses. Right? There's, a, there's an upside down picture of what's going on. And this helps explain why we today, thousands of years later, often view power or authority with suspicion. Right? We, we've just seen God use power to give abundant life and cause flourishing across the world. Yet when humans wield power, we're full of suspicion. I, I don't need to name any names. For us today, in this modern democracy, where we've added lots of careful controls over power, so no one person gets too powerful, we've, uh, we're wary of uh, um, quotes like, power corrupts, but absolute power corrupts absolutely. We do not trust powerful people. And I don't need to name names. There are people in authority right now who we, you know, the majority of Britain does not trust them, one way or another. That's not just the problem with our prime minister. That's a problem with all of humanity with broken hearts. The way we, by on default, use power is selfish. The way we use power on default is very different to God. God uses power to give life. We use power to take life. Maybe we haven't murdered someone, but we take someone's flourishing and we crush it when we use power in selfish ways. God uses power to bless. We use power to curse. God uses power to give away what is his. We use power to take what isn't ours. You don't have to look far in history for things to be quite depressing quite quickly, right? We have not got a good track record with power. And I wish, I wish it was just non-Christians, right? But how many times as Christians, we get the smallest bit of power and influence and we use it for sin. Whether it's just pride and on the inside, we're, our power, we're just, we are jealous of other people. We are proud of our position and our situation. We don't use power the way we were supposed to. But praise God, it doesn't end there. This isn't a, so far, this isn't a very celebrating preach, is it? It gets better, I promise you. So, praise God, we get to redemption, Jesus' power and creativity. Along comes Jesus. Now, back in Genesis, God hints that he will restore what has been lost. In 1 Corinthians, Jesus is called the second Adam. There are loads and loads of parallels between Jesus and Adam and Eve. And this is one big fat one of them that where Adam and Eve failed, Jesus comes along and says, let me, let me correct what you guys messed up. Let me correct what you guys messed up. Let me fulfill that commission that God originally gave. Um, have dominion over the earth. Use power and creativity for good in this world. And there are loads of things that Jesus did, but I do want to focus particularly on the way he used power and creativity. And Jesus is the new Adam. Wherever Adam and Eve went, wherever their, their offspring went, we, saw, we see death multiply. 
Some of you have read the first half of Genesis particularly. It is a freaking mess. Genesis is messy. It's just awful, full of people who are supposed to um, do what God commanded them to do, choosing to not. And one way or another, causing brokenness, death, hurts, pain. They're, They're using power. They're using creativity. But for other people's destruction, not other people's life. And where Jesus comes, we see the opposite. So Jesus goes literally towards people who are sick. Remember, sickness is a picture of the curse, is a picture of the brokenness of this world. And he heals people. There's people getting healed all over the place. And there's bits and pieces of healing throughout the Old Testament. But we see with Jesus just an abundance of healing. We see wherever he goes, life, 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 life. As Adam and Eve were supposed to fill the earth with life, we, we see Jesus going through the world, filling it with life. And not just healing. We see people who are dead, like properly stone-cold dead, that he goes to them and they come back to life. It's this beautiful picture of the undoing of the curse. We see where um, humanity have used power to dishonor people, where, where pe- people have used power in such a way that degrades the image of God, that spits on the image of God by um, abusing m- mankind. We see people with power have done that. And in Jesus' day, that was the same. We see Jesus literally went up to Pharisees and people of power and call out their abuse of people made in the image and likeness of God. And what, do, what do we see Jesus do by comparison Instead of using his power to, um, in a selfish way that would build himself up, in a selfish way that would take from others, we see Jesus using his power to lift those people out of brokenness, to lift those people, to recognize these people are valuable, they're made in the image and likeness of God. So who did he go to in that society who they considered worthless? He went to the poor, he went to children, he went to those who were unclean. All of the people who in that society were considered worthless, or, or, or of less worth, he went to them and he recognized and he called them um, sons of God. He called them valued. He called them precious. He treated them as if they were valuable. He used his power and his influence in a way that saw them as image bearers of God. He also filled the earth. Now, I'm not going to go loads into this, but God's original command was to fill the earth literally by having loads of babies, right? And Adam and Eve, they they screwed up most things, but they they seem to have a lot of babies, right? So they at least got some part of that right. Um, And when we see Jesus comes along, he doesn't have kids. And in that culture where kids was, where um, offspring at least were so valuable, they were a bit confused by that. Um, And in the whole of the Old Testament, you see not having kids is a massive deal. And so Jesus, childless, not married, is was confusing to a lot of people. They were like, how are you supposed to be a king without kids? How are you supposed to be an influential figure without having a wife and kids? And instead what Jesus does is he, he properly fulfills this original commandment of God to fill the earth by creating spiritual babies. You literally have all these pictures where he says, you must be born again. And we see people not literally being born, but being born on the inside. There's this spiritual renewal. I think this is so important because Adam and Eve, for all of the trying, for all of the hard work, they were dead on the inside, right? They could not have worked harder to fulfill that command because they were dead on the inside. And what Jesus did that was so critical is give us, praise God, new hearts so that we're able to hear this command from God to fill the earth with goodness and grace. And we're now by the grace of God, actually able to do it, right? We can do what Adam and Eve never could do because they had hearts that were wrecked by sin. 
Because Jesus has come into the world. He's taken on our burden of sin on his shoulders. He's taken all the penalty of sin on himself. And he's instead given us his perfection. He's given us his presence in the Holy Spirit so that we can do what Adam and Eve never could do. So this is 100% worth celebrating. Because God has, uh, God has undone the curse and then also recommissioned us. And so you see Jesus giving a commission to mankind in a similar way to the way that God gave an original command. Go out, have dominion, fill the earth. And we see Jesus saying, go, go in this great commission to go preach the gospel, to go proclaim good news to the captives. We see Jesus giving us this second commission that fulfills that first commission. It is this recommissioning. And the question for us today is how will we now use our power and our creativity? And so for us today, if you're a Christian here today, well, let me phrase it the way. If you're not a Christian here today, this is a big fat invitation. Jesus came into the world so that um, the brokenness in our life may be undone. The sin, the shame, and the guilt, Jesus loves to deal with. He loves to deal with it. And he has wonderful plans for us. And so if you don't yet know, Christian, know Jesus, like there's a big fat invitation for you to know Jesus today. Now for those of us who do know Jesus, there is a big call on our life. A big call on our life. And we're not left alone, like I said before, we've got the Holy Spirit. We have this wonderful enabling and equipping to do what we were originally supposed to do. But God has given us power. Now, none of us can create universes. I appreciate that. And that is a little disappointing because I would love to create a universe. That would be pretty fun. But he has given us quite a large amount of power and influence in the lives around us. He's given us creative gifts that can um, beautifully map out how things are. He's given us um, power that can actually make a difference in this world. Now, the challenge with people who have power in this world is you're not really sure what to do with it, right? How often have you, have you um, maybe you got a promotion or maybe you suddenly discovered you have a gift that was pretty significant or maybe you suddenly got a bunch of money and, and it's quite difficult sometimes to know what to do with this. And you just have to look at the, the phenomenally gifted in this world and see how often, how broken some of their lives are to know we as humanity do not know how to wield power very well. And this is why it's so important that wherever we have influence and power, we follow Jesus' model. And we're very serious about this. And the Bible, basically, the more that's been given to you, the more that's expected, right? And, and to those much has been given, much will be required. There is this significant weight on us. Now, the reality is all of us have some kind of influence. And so there's a, this is a general message to all of us, but it's quite a specific message. If you know in some area of life, you have some significant level of influence. There is a weight to this. There is a weight to this. As Christians, we've given, been given everything we need to do good in this world. So by the time we die, that we would leave a trail of life. We have two different people we could follow. We could follow Adam. And as he went through life, he caused death, brokenness, hurts. Or we see Jesus. And as he went, he caused life, flourishing, health, hope in people's lives. And we have a choice of what we're going to do with our influence. Just practically, there are a few particular areas I really want to highlight. I really want to just dig into. Because I think sometimes if you leave it a bit general, we can just leave with like a general sense of, well, that's nice, but I don't really know what to do with this. 
Um, first of all, the workplace. I, I, um, I'm on LinkedIn, which is a, a blessing and a curse sometimes. Um, and for one reason or another, I'm connected with a, a variety of people at New Community. And so every now and again, and this wouldn't really want to in conversation, but I'd see a few of you who you know, have some achievement or something that happens at work or something you're doing or something you're excited about at work. And I was just reflecting this week and I praise God for the influence that he has given members of this church for where he has blessed various members of us with influence and power. And I would imagine most of us would know workplaces can be places of abuse of power. Pretty freaking quickly, you can use power in a way that pushes down rather than builds up, right? And you don't even have to be a Christian to recognize uh, some workplaces' power is fundamentally broken. But Christians, as we go into workplaces, our boss is not our boss. Our boss is Jesus, And so if you have a boss who just sucks, that does not excuse you to be a rubbish employee. That does not excuse us to be rubbish bosses ourselves. We have this wonderful example of a boss who gives us life, who uses his authority, who uses his power in a way that builds us up, in a way that encourages us, strengthens us, gives us life, challenges us, but in a way that makes us known we're we're sons and we are loved. And friends, when we walk into a workplace we have the opportunity to bear life in that workplace. And sometimes it may be big, powerful moments. You're doing some big presentation or you're setting some policy or the way you're taking the company. It may be in some real quiet moments. And some real quiet little moments of encouragement. Someone's just been trashed by some bad boss who doesn't know how to use power. You have the opportunity to come in there and just really encourage them. You are great, you realize that. You're awesome. I'm I'm so grateful for what you've contributed. Thank you so much. We in the workplace, we live in London, we do not have to work like Londoners, right? We can honor people and serve people. Um, I'm going to stop talking about the workplace for a moment because I get really excited about it. Um, There are all all kinds of other areas. Some of you um, have families, some of you are maybe you're married, some of you have kids. These are beautiful opportunities for influence and you know your influence because you know for good or for bad, your kids start to look more and more like you, right? You know your influence pays off one way or another. You can't hide it um, because your kids won't hide anything, right? And so we have wonderful opportunities as parents to serve and honor our kids, to use the influence over them And as parenting goes, this is my guess, right? I've only got an 11-month-year-old, so I've got a lot to figure out. But when we begin earlier on, our power is quite ultimate over their lives. Literally, we decide everything. And then as they grow up, the power, we step back and step back and step back. And if it's going right, we step back and back and back, right? And there's moments where you want to just grab on there and just be like, don't do that, Uh, 15-year-old or whatever. Um, But we'd step back and step back and step back. And the way we use power in our kids' lives is for flourishing. So bit by bit, we can let go and they make good decisions, and they grow up healthy, and they grow up knowing that they're loved, and we're using our power in a way that God uses his power as the perfect father. Um, we could, you could talk about families all day, but there's another preach for that. I also want to mention um, friendships. Our, our friendship groups are wonderful opportunities to use power and creativity to love each other, right? The church is the perfect example of this, right? We have such an opportunity to have such a difference in other people's lives, if you've been a Christian for you know, that much time, you will know there have been dozens of Christians who just have that impact on your life, sometimes not realizing it. There have been Christians who have had impacts on your life, whether it's just a little encouragement they mentioned years ago, and you still remember it, you still cling on to it. It's shaped a bit of who you are. We have the opportunity today to shape one another. 
We have the opportunity to use power and creativity in the way that Adam and Eve were supposed to, and Jesus did perfectly to love one another. And, 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 and what's wonderful is it's actually going to change the world. God used this command because he knew this is what would shape the world. And we have this wonderful opportunity to be world shapers in what we do.